All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is Father Mark Mary. Father Malachi. We are the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, and we're in part four, right? We've been doing this series. The series is entitled, Who Do You Say That I Am? The Catholic Response to Transgenderism. And we began with the history. We looked at Christian anthropology. We had a really great discussion last uh, episode with Dr. Greg Guitaro looking a little bit, fleshing out what it, what masculinity, femininity means, what it looks like. Um, and then today we're going to be having the final, the final part, bring it in with a very sort of pastoral approach, very much answering some of your very specific questions that are being sort of brought to you, your world, your reality um, here and now. And this is a space where recently on our Instagram, we threw up a question. People were able to send us their particular questions on the topic. And so some of them were going to have already been answered sort of without saying, oh, hey, we're answering your question. Some of them we're going to get into very specifically towards the end of this final episode. But this is where we'll be able to really get into some of the nitty gritty of, of these questions and what this means in your, in your life and how to respond. And so Father Malky, bring us home with our final... <laughs> Our final episode here. Come on, here we go. All right, so um, here we are. It, uh, thanks for hanging with us, being on this journey, walking through this topic. Uh, like Father Mark Mary said, amazing time with Dr. Greg Bataro and really got in deep on this whole question of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, masculinity, femininity. Um, man, good stuff. And uh, so here we are. We, we kind of have, right, we've got this knowledge that, there is definitely movements and different people at work in the world that are trying to advance an ideology that it really is, um, it's, it's anti-human in the sense that it's attacking the very nature that we have as man and woman made in the image and likeness of God and our destiny and that relationship with him. Um, we've seen the church's anthropology, right? This, this beautiful revelation of the origins of humanity made in that image and likeness with a call to live in relationship with God in love and with one another and the way that the body reveals that, manifests that um, in the world, the body revealing and manifesting the person, making that visible. Um, and, you know, and again, we've also seen that there are struggles and the effects of sin in the world have impacted everyone everyone. It doesn't matter who you are or what your struggle may be. It has impacted us. Um, and I think just before setting out into this pastoral kind of address in regard to all the issues of folks who experience same-sex attraction or gender identity dysphoria or discordance of whatever um, shape or form, I think it needs to be said and said for them and also said for us that uh, it's not as if there's somehow this group of people out there that are just really screwed up and particularly broken and the rest of us are just like kind of, you know, kind of broken, not as bad as that group over there. It's so easy to fall into that false understanding. The reality is, is we are all broken and all loved. Um, I had this experience recently that uh, was, I was with some folks and hanging out with their family and, you know, they've got some different boys and girls and everything else. And, you know, you got older sibling, younger, younger sibling rivalries. And I mean, I'm from a big family, so I love just seeing families together. And anyhow, uh, one of the older brothers started teasing a younger brother. And, and as he was doing that, he said to him, he was like, you know, in a, in a moment of frustration and anger, he just says to him, well, you're just an accident. And the brother is kind of sensitive and it just, you could see it like crush something in him to hear that and just started crying. And then all of a sudden dad's like, yo, what's going on? Coming in, trying to intervene in this situation. Picks up the son and I just am standing within earshot as they're walking away and he's talking to his son. And I just hear the son say, daddy, am I an accident? And, you know, I, I can't say for sure for everyone, but I do have a sense that there's a way in which um, folks who, who struggle with these core questions of identity or 
um, sexual desires and orientations, or you know, even you know, and folks that have real um, the real issue of you know intersex of you know these different things that are part of human experiences for people. Uh, that question can be a question that they're asking. Am I an accident? Is this all just broken and I'm just messed up? Um, and I think that honestly, there's a way in which culture, world, and people inside the church have too often been the older brother. Um, and, uh, you know, that are saying like, you're just an accident. And it's an easy way to discard somebody it's an easy way to dismiss them from conversation. Um, but there are in the Father's plan, you know, like there are no accidents in the sense of God has an explicit will. We know that he never desires evil for any of us. But God allows things to occur in life, in the world, in our lives. And, and those events, those experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if we allow God to enter into them, become the very landscape, become the canvas for us to experience the reality that Jesus Christ makes all things new. The cross left nothing behind. There's nothing wasted. There is nothing beyond. There is nothing that cannot be redeemed. There's nothing that can't be an opportunity and a place for the glory of God to be manifest in our lives. And so I think one of the things that has to be said firstly in trying to talk about pastoral responses is, is there is a need for a repentance and an apology and asking forgiveness for the ways that we have failed as a church to love people who have struggles that might not be mine or they have an experience that might not be mine and I've allowed that to become an excuse for me not to love them and treat them with the respect and the dignity that they deserve without condition. And I think that's gotta be the entry point to any conversation. Um, that love, that respect, that dignity is given by the fact that the Father in heaven loved you enough to send his son into this world so that he could die for you so that you could be in relationship with him and the father as a beloved son or a beloved daughter. Uh, and that's, that's true of everyone, just as our own brokenness is true for all of us. The love of the father is true for all of us. Um, and so we're talking about some of the nitty gritty and, and I'll be the first to admit, um, there are questions that are not fully clear at this point because what are we doing? We're sort of trying to stumble along um, in a world that doesn't always present clear black and white responses, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who is the truth, who is the way, who is the life, and trying to apply that truth, that way to the concrete reality that's in front of me. And there can be times where it's very clear what I should do and then other times where I'm like scratching my head a little bit, praying for the Holy Spirit to give me some kind of wisdom or insight because I'm not totally sure. Um, and so this issue, um, this, the, the experience of people of gender identity, dysphoria, transgender, and, and also those uh, who experience same-sex attraction presents those kind of moments for us. Uh, and so we wanna provide some maybe I would say guidelines or guidelines might not be the right word, but um, the framework for how we respond to the concrete and then look at some of those concrete things that we can say something about and then acknowledge the places where maybe it's not so totally clear. Um, so the basic foundation of any type of pastoral response is the pastor, the good shepherd, is Jesus Christ. When we say pastoral response, it doesn't mean the response that happens because I feel warm and fuzzy inside or I'm moved by the suffering of somebody or um, you know, I, I wanna be nice. The pastoral response is the good shepherd. And what is the good shepherd? Who is he? Jesus Christ. 
and what is in his heart, the burning love of the father that goes in search of the lost, the broken, the lame. And he's come into the world looking for each of us and looking for you. And so the church is called to share that fire of love in the heart of Christ to go out to seek the lost, the lame, the broken, anyone who does not yet know fully the father's love for them. So Jesus goes out and we find it in the gospel again and again. He goes to the outcasts, he goes to the marginalized, he goes to the people who are rejected and he is with them because he loves them and wants them to know they are loved. And as he's with them, he reveals the truth to them, the fullness that we are all called to. You know, um, one of the problems that we run into is, is people wanna talk about being charitable or kind but, uh, you know, but charity or kindness without the truth, as Pope Benedict wrote beautifully, um, it devolves into pure sentimentality. And sentimentality doesn't really help if what somebody actually needs is a word of truth that might be difficult for me to speak but is exactly what will allow this person to step into the freedom they were made for. Um, and on the other side, you've got people who know the truth and I'm going to speak the truth and I don't care what you think. I'm going to tell that truth to you because by golly, that's the truth and that's what I'm going to, but there's absolutely no love in their heart for the other person. They somehow don't see the other person. And so they speak in a way that hurts, that's harmful, that reinforces an experience of rejection, of being misunderstood, of not being listened to. Um, you know, one of the things that came through loud and clear for me, both in my studies as I read a number of books by people who were uh, arguing in favor of and advocating for um, gender ideology in this view, um, and also one thing that I, I found again and again and and a number of wonderful conversations with people who have this experience is that again and again, the refrain, they will not listen. They did not listen. They need to listen. So the first thing, brothers and sisters, and, and it's hard is perhaps because you wanna get in there and if you think something's broken, maybe you're a fixer and you wanna get in there and fix it. But the first thing to do is just to listen to have enough patience and enough space in your heart to hear what's in the heart of another human being. And in fact, what I'm telling you is true for everybody. I mean, we're talking about this issue, um, but it's true of everybody. So listening and bringing the truth in love. So yeah, we gotta speak the truth about God's plan for our humanity, the reality of the givenness of our sexuality. Um, you know, and it's important it's important to help people move towards discovering the truth of God's plan for their sexuality. And, you know, in fact, um, this is something, you know, it's found in the catechism uh, and it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a very clear statement about this relationship that each, is, each of us have to our identity. And it's, and it's this, the church does not tire of repeating her teaching. Everyone, man and woman should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity that gift that's been given by God. So yeah, we need to help people move towards recognizing that and accepting that. Um, but I don't come in with a hammer or a bludgeon and think that I'm gonna fix this person and nor do I come in uh, without any willingness to speak the truth if, if and when God opens the opportunity for that to, to happen. Um, Can I jump in yeah. on this? And I... I'm, just, I'm really grateful that you sort of, this is almost the idea of like you kind of lead with listening is one of the, a struggle, a temptation, which if you haven't experienced it, you may not be aware of, is that if somebody comes to you and, and perhaps it's with a transgender question, if they, they experience gender dysphoria hmm. and they come to you and you immediately respond to them with the right answer, what you kind of communicate to the person is like you're, you're an argument to be won. You're you're a um, a problem to be fixed, hmm. and you don't. You're you're answering. 
your your answer is not communicating that like you're a person to be loved first and foremost mm. and to be received as gift as well. Mm-hmm. And that if 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 you're treated that way, it's very it's very harmful and very hurtful. And that's just not that that's not the fullness of the truth that you're you're communicating to the person because you're you're communicating they're an issue. Yeah. Or the, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. and again the the the, what we desire is to be like the good shepherd and to make sure everyone can find, you know, with truth and love, can find their home in the church. Amen. And we want unity. We don't want, I don't know what, I don't know. We just have to take into account the humanity of the other before us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so I'm just really grateful because I think there's, there's also, there's a, sometimes there's a fear which leads us to sort of shout before we listen. Yep. And, um, and again, we're not watering down the fullness of the truth of the gospel or Christian anthropology, no. but just to make sure that people feel heard and listened to mm-hmm. and, and just how important that is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I mean, in some sense, you could say that the world is already shouting at us and gender ideology is a cry. Um, but the only way you can actually hear the cry of the heart that's underneath the maybe harsh surface of that and the way that it's presenting itself is through that listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, listening beyond what's being said, listening to the cry of the heart. And and in the end, right? Like that same question that this whole series has been looking at, who do you say that I am? In one sense, that's the cry that's underneath all of it. And it's underneath all of it for all of us. You know, I think one thing is really important to know is, is it um, it's not as if like this particular struggle with identity and the crisis that it gives folks in their lives, uh, it's not as if that's like their thing. Like all sin, no matter what it is, is an identity crisis. It's a false identity. It's stepping out of the truth of relationship with God as the loving father who desires my good and knows me better than anyone else could ever know me and in his love desires to give me everything that my heart was made for. Um, when I sin, I say, no, that's not true. So I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do it myself. Um, so we're, we're talking about listening, but then what do we do when we're speaking? You know, it's like, there's a lot of people that are asking questions like, how do I communicate about this? Well, how do I talk to other Catholics? How do we be welcoming? Um, there's some nitty gritty issues that I wanna just jump into here connected with this. So. You know, one of the first things um, that people often, at least these days, are, are bringing up is the question of pronouns, the question of names, you know, what do I call a person? Um, and, you know, I was having this conversation with a young woman and she's in relationship with somebody who is, you know, uh, transitioning and was asking for these different pronouns and different name and everything else. And she was totally like, I don't know what to do. And she says, if I don't say this and, you know, I'm not respecting her. Um, and the basic argument, right, is this, is that like you using the pronoun or the name that I have chosen is respecting me. Um, now this, what I would say is now gonna be for somebody who's in relationship already with someone. So if you're in relationship, son, daughter, friend, brother, sister, um, who's transitioning and you know changing names and dress and all this, and they're asking you like, do this, like this is, this is the litmus test of whether or not you really love me and respect me. Um, what I told this young woman, and I think it's good, is it like, okay, like you want me to say something, you want me to address you in a particular way to manifest my respect for you, my reverence for your point of view, for your way of seeing yourself and seeing the world. Um, but are you reverencing my point of view And do you respect me enough to recognize that, you know what? I can't in good conscience use that pronoun because a pronoun refers to something objective in the world, not something arbitrary. Words have meaning. And so for me, when I use that, I'm not speaking the truth. And you might disagree, but do you love me enough to stay in relationship with me and allow me to be able to live the freedom of following my conscience. Because the the, the tables get turned too often. And I think that, you know, there's this burden that's put on people, like it's your responsibility to figure it out. 
And in fact, there is a video um, for one of the state, uh, New York State universities about, you know, pronouns. And, and in this video of like, you know, it's like sensitivity training is to say, well, you know, the burden is on you to figure it out as the other person. I was like, wait a minute, like, where's the reverence for me? Where's the respect for my freedom, my convictions, my belief? And that's absent from this conversation too, too often. And, and so I'd say in, the, in, in relationship to pronouns, um, I don't think that in good conscience, we can agree with using pronouns that contradict reality. Uh, the same thing with the they, them, theirs is that this isn't simply a gender neutral pronoun that somebody who struggles to see whether or not or doesn't recognize themselves in either category, non-binary, uh, it's a pronoun that refers to the plural of a group of people and because it's plural, it doesn't have gender specific you know, inference necessarily, um, but it's plural and you're a singular person. And so again, like, this whole thing about like verbal engineering preceding social engineering, like I can't in conscience, like I want to love you. Um, so I'm not going to use pronouns. I'm going to use your name. And that's something that you can do. You can say, I, you know, I love you. I'm not comfortable with that. So I'm going to use your name to refer to you. I know that and I might be your preference, but I'd ask you to respect me. Am I your friend? Am I your brother? You know, am I your parent? your sibling? Like, do you love me enough? And is this relationship important enough to you to allow me to sort of find a way to still be in relationship with you and yet live authentically from the convictions in my heart? Um, now names get a little bit more complicated and this is in the area of like where I'd say, it's not always clear. Um, there's people that I know in my life who I've met after they had adopted another name and that's the name that I know them by and that's the name that I use. And I don't sort of have an issue with that. Um, I have heard some people say that for those that were transitioning, they knew before they changed to this other name. There are some people who have said, hey, can I call you by some kind of nickname? Because I'm just not comfortable with this new name. Again, it's an attempt to find a place where we can meet one another and be in relationship. Uh, but it is absolutely disingenuous to presume that all of the changing and all of the adaptation is to be one-sided and that any unwillingness on the part of somebody to, to sort of like, you know, agree to what you're saying is somehow inherently a rejection of you or a denial of who you are. Um, the other difficulty as well with both pronouns and, and the names at times is that it is clearly a desire for someone to have you affirm the assertion that they're making that they are not the person in their bodily embodied sexual existence, that sexual identity that we're all called to embrace, that they are not that, that they are something different or opposite from that. And in that sense, we can't either follow that because then that would be me abandoning the truth in some measure, uh, saying no to what is objective and what is given, that nature from God. Um, can I accept somebody that's different in the way that they express their femininity, their masculinity? Totally. We talked about that, you know, last session. Um, so, so that's a kind of answer to the pronouns and the names. Uh, then we get into the question of like morality, like what's sinful, what's not sinful. Can we can we flesh out a little bit that? Oh yeah. The, the because I think this is for a lot of people. This is where the topic or the question. It, it it's very much part of their life and they're trying to navigate mm -hmm. it is okay so so just to make sure I, I heard you right your your proposal is that on the pronoun question okay so if if a woman wants to be called male pronouns right mm -hmm. which would be like him he him his, his yep that and i think there's like some sort of conversation explanation just like do you are you will i don't know how how would you because you, the, the end result is that you, you should call them and you would advise somebody that you need to call them by the pronouns which match the given biology. Yes. Or actually, well, I would say this, is that you can refer to someone by their name without using the pronouns. It's a way to try and find a middle ground because at the same time, there are people that like they struggle deeply with 
the dysphoria and this experience is, you know, like something that's aggravated, the struggle, the, you know, the anxieties, there's different ways that it's experienced. Um, and so I want to respect that too. And I don't want to just sort of be insensitive to the interior experience of the other individual, which is why I would say, you know, I, I think you can avoid using them all together and use the person's name. That would be my recommendation. Um, and if there's a situation where someone is trying to force your hand, I think you, you, have, to, you have to be faithful to reality because reality is the place where God resides. Um, and that's the place where freedom and redemption is to be found, fullness of life. So we can't, we can't jettison that for this uh, radical relativism that says that we are the ones that choose by our feelings, desires, or perceptions to define what is true and not true about reality. We can't accept that. Now, now if the name, if there's been a name change, which yep. from which is very clearly from one gender to a different one, mm-hmm. it's okay to go with. So it's a guy, and now he wants to, you know, it's Steve who wants to be Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to call him Stephanie, even though that's it seems to be affirming? Mm-hmm. the gender change how would you make that distinction or that yeah i mean i think on this one it's it's a really you want to say no it's not okay right that's like what you want to say or maybe you don't want to say that or that's a clear black and white answer um i have other people who've also been working in this area have made the recommendation of asking the person if there's some way you can come up with a nickname or some other way of referring to them because you don't want to you don't want to communicate with your words and way of acting that you are in agreement with the assertion that this person is not who God made them as in their femininity or their masculinity. Uh, and, and at the same time, again, you're trying to, to also live in relationship with this person, whoever it is, like, you know, and not to, so we go back to like the listening, um, but yeah, I, I would say that that's the, the best that we can do with our lousy best of trying to figure out how to love one another, be faithful to reality, and at the same time reverence and respect this person's experience. Because although there's many things that you could say that are like, okay, this is not true that a body that is female could be made to be male by a surgery, by a hormone, or whatever might occur. Um, that's, that's true. It's also true that there is a person who has an experience even in their bodily existence as a female in which there's a lot of struggle interiorly and an absence of identification with what is the social norms and things connected with femininity. And we talked about some of that stuff last time as well, but um, that's real too. The experience is real. So to navigate the waters is what we're talking about between recognizing the experience as being real and true and needing to have respect for it and at the same time recognizing that there is an objective world that that experience needs to be more and more fully integrated into um, that's part of this picture as well. So, So you're trying to find a way in between the two. Um, the black and white on names can be difficult. I mean... There's people that I know in my life, it's not the same scenario, but I have a religious name and there's people in my life who've never used my religious name. I, at least for me, that's not something that I've kind of gone to war with them over. Um, Would I prefer that they use my religious name? Well, yeah, but I'm not offended that they don't. Um, Now I know it's a different situation. There's a much deeper question here that we're dealing with in regard to identity in this situation. Um, But yeah, so I would say that that's the recommendation that I would give. I recognize with names that things are a little bit hazier than they are when it comes to pronouns because of the fact that also names can change meaning, meaning like gender-wise or some names that are ambiguous. So it's it's hazy out there. but, uh, but I do believe that God nonetheless is calling us to walk into relationship with people where they are and, and be that presence of the good shepherd to them. When, when you spoke on the topic before, you, you said it very well that 
we we need like if you will um for all of us conversion happens within the context of relationship mm-hmm. and that's what we're trying to re- wrestle with like we 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 can't compromise the truth but we want to really fight to stay in relationship amen yeah because of the gift that this person is I mean, I think that's it. It's like, we don't know how good they are. They don't, we don't know the gift that this person is. And it's my poverty and my loss if I'm not able to have a relationship with them. And the church ought to suffer from the absence of that relationship, meaning feel the ache, which I think is what it means to feel with the heart of Jesus. The good shepherd is burdened by the fact that that relationship isn't there and wants to do anything and everything that he can to establish it, to maintain it to deepen it. And we should have the same desire um, because there's a great gift to be found in each and every one of these individuals um, in their lives. So much about who, um, who we're invited to be in, in relationship to God that's found in their own experience. God is there waiting for us. I want to meet God in them and in their lives. Uh, and if the relationship is distant, then that, that's my loss, mm-hmm. um, which is why I'm trying, you know, and I, and I don't, you know, I don't do it perfectly, you know, and I just apologize to anybody, if, you know, that struggling along here, we all are in certain ways. And that's where the patience and, and charity towards one another needs to be a part of this um, so that we can try and, and walk on this road together. And if, if I could, we'll kind of lead into another question topic here, if, if I can sort of take the lead on that is, we haven't, we've sort of referred to it, but maybe not made it explicit is that over these last, particularly this last year and a half, mm-hmm. you've also, you, have, you haven't been just looking at the topic as like a theoretical point of study, looking at books, mm-hmm. but walking with people who, ex- and talking with people who experience mm-hmm. this in their own life. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think it, I'd love to hear some of what you've heard or listened to because it's, it's easy to um, somewhat dismiss or reduce that real experience mm-hmm. of a gender dysphoria or of a confusion and and yeah that it's not it's not for for many people it's not simply just like an it's not an out, like there's like they're um they're choosing an ideology that's out there mm-hmm. but they've they've actually experienced something very deeply within yeah. um can you share a little bit from your own experience like about that yeah i guess i would say that that's Perhaps amongst everything that has happened in the last year, that's probably one of the greatest gifts to me is just to have been able to hear the story of people who, who have this experience. Um, and so, like, what do you do with that? And it, you know, and this is the thing I realized at a certain point. You know, there's a way in which we stand there before this, not totally having all the answers and whatever. Um, and again, that's me thinking about this as a as a problem to figure out, right? Um, standing before this person's experience and recognizing, I don't really know what to say. I don't. Um, I know that God loves them deeply. And I want them to know that too. And I want them to know that the church, the church loves them deeply. And I'm not really sure the way forward in a lot of things, um, but I do know that that relationship is the only way forward. And so we're navigating through these waters that are uncharted and we're trying to find a way. Um, You know, one of the things, you know, uh, is there a space? I mean, that's one of the questions that has come in some of these conversations. Is there a space in the church for somebody who is trying to figure this out or struggling with this? This is an ongoing experience. Yes, there's some people that it comes, it goes. There's some people that they do this, they move into this lifestyle, they reject it later, regret it, etc. But there's some people that it's, for all extents and purposes is an ongoing part of their life. Um, is there a space for them in the church to be able to try and figure it out? Like, what does it mean for them to live that that? gender identity disconnect experience to be a guy who's not the rough and tumble, whatever, you know, is there some place between, you know, Fred Flintstone, the caveman and sleeping beauty, the princess where, 
were men and women who expressed themselves differently than others in the normal way for whatever that specific gender might be, like a space for them in the church. Now there's boundaries in the sense of like, we're not, I'm not arguing for androgyny here, um, but I am arguing for uh, enough latitude in our hearts to allow people to walk on this road with us who are also trying to figure it out and not totally clear on it. I mean, goodness gracious, you know, what would happen if like all of us who brought the same struggle or the same area of sin to confession again and again, year after year, month after month or week after week, uh, if all of a sudden there was like, you know, one of these deals where you're, you're pushing on the gas and the tank says empty, sorry, the mercy tank is empty now. Like the patient's tank is empty. Like, I'm not gonna walk any farther with you. I'm not gonna allow any more struggle. I'm not gonna allow any more like just not having it all together. Um, we would all be up creek without a paddle. And here's a place where, you know, this person trying to figure out who they are as a beloved son or daughter of the father and what that means to live out their masculinity and femininity, struggling in a deeper way with a question that maybe some of us settle for a superficial answer to. And I think I've found at times that maybe there is some of that at work here, meaning some of my repulsion, my aversion, my knee-jerk reaction against this difference, this not inside the boxness of this person is because it's getting close to the fact that I've kind of allowed myself to settle for something less than plunging the full depths of the authenticity of who I am within my own life and my own heart. Not necessarily connected to gender perhaps, but maybe I'm adopting some less than true identity and living it. And this person saying that they don't know how to live with that less than true for them provokes me. And I'm like, get away. You're a weirdo, you're a freak, you're, you know. When really it's like, I actually am experiencing the insecurity in me and the fact that your insecurity is so visible or your struggle is so visible kind of makes me uncomfortable. So would you please leave? now, you know, and that rejection is what unfortunately a lot of people have experienced. Um, and so I think, you know, how are we gonna relate to people who have that experience? You know, I, uh, there was this, you know, this short little vignette of a story I wanted to share that a brother said at breakfast, I think it was just this morning or yesterday. Um, one of our priests, Father Lewis, was talking about a dog he had when he was younger and his dad went and got the dog and he got it just for him and he brought it home. And this dog um, was not the most attractive dog to him. And everybody in the family loved it as soon as it showed up. He got it from the pound and it was, you know, it was a rescue. And Father Lewis was saying he hated it, didn't want anything to do with it and just was like absolutely as cold shouldered to it as possible. Um, but ironically, that dog loved Father Lewis and gave no attention to anybody else. And he said this line, he was like, yeah, it was like, you know, it was funny. I, you know, I hated that dog at first. He's like, but then I, you know, I actually ended up loving it in the end because I realized how much it loved me. And, um, and I think that this is the call of the church. It's like, if we're desirous of people finding a place in the church who are experiencing, whether it's same-sex attraction, gender identity, dysphoria, you know, why don't we love them like we love nobody else so that whatever obstacle is in a heart of a person, whatever walls are up, um, would be healed and transformed by that love because that's ultimately what happens to all of us. But love always includes a truth. And love is always grounded and rooted in that reality. But the greatest truth about them is, is the fact of God's love for them as beloved children. And they need to know that, they need to hear that. Um, and not know, just with words. Yeah, not enough. Yeah. I mean, you got to make a space in the church, meaning like the welcome, the like, I'm not, yeah, totally. You know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of questions here. My goodness, I, some of them, 
I'm not sure if I'm going to go down these. Uh, some of them I'm not going to go down. I apologize. I know y'all are, you know, we'll have to do some other thing with some of these because I feel like they're going into an apologetical direction that I just don't think God wants us to go in right now. So um, I'm not going to go down some of those roads. But the, the fundamental question, you know, um, and I might write up some answers to some of these later and, and put them up, post them through our social media for you so you can see some of those answers written out. But but this is the question, like, how do I love this person and not deny the truth? How do I relate to them the reality of God's love for them? And, um, you know, part of it is that we are called as a church to be a sign of contradiction in the world. And speaking the truth about our humanity as men and women, as God has created us, that's not going to win any popularity contest. That's not going to get you onto, you know, Oprah or Ellen, or any other, you know, you know, late night with anybody. Like this is something that's very unpopular to continue to hold the truth that we've been given in nature and that nature has meaning. And that meaning gives us interiorly a law that we are called to follow and our freedom is guided by, not into slavery, but actually into a fullness of life that comes from living according to the truth of who God has made us to be as men and women. Um, So we have to be willing to be a prophetic witness in the world. And I just wanna say that for the church, like you're getting beat down, you're being overwhelmed. um, And, you know, there's this great line from one of my most, I guess favorite, most favorite, my most favoritist, (laughs) my most favoritist scenes in all of Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, author of the Lord of the Rings, one of his most famous uh, scenes by this uh, man whose name is Huron. And basically this is before the Lord of the Rings trilogy that everybody probably has seen the movies or knows of. And basically it's a battle between orcs and men and elves and the orcs are overrunning them. They are being absolutely destroyed. And at the end, the leader of the men, two brothers, Huron um, and Hur, turn to the leader of the elves and say, if you guys die on this battlefield, then hope is gone. You leave and we're gonna hold the pass against the enemy. And so everybody starts piling out. The elves are exiting the battlefield and the orcs and you know the big fiery demon thing that you know Gandalf had fought during one of, the video, one of the movies there in the Lord of the Rings, one of these Balrogs is coming and he's got these giant trolls that are his guard. And you know, it's like, and they're coming and they're just one wave after another and the men are being killed one after another. And then the last one who's standing is Huron and he's surrounded by the enemy and he's surrounded by the enemy and he has in his hand a shield and an ax. And it says that he dropped his shield and grabbed the ax with two hands and began to wield it, swinging it against the enemy as they came. And with every swing that he would swing, he would cry out in Elvish, Aure en Tuluva, Aure en Tuluva, the day shall come again. And in that moment when he's being overrun by the enemy, he's prophesying the truth over them. And he, after 70 times of swinging this is overrun, But brothers and sisters, the church, Jesus has promised us will be persecuted, will suffer as our Messiah, as our master, as our savior was crucified, rejected. He promised us this is coming and it's here. And so don't be surprised, but also don't be discouraged. You know, drop the shield, stop trying to be so defensive and worried about everything and pick up the ax with two hands and start swinging and cry out the truth, the prophetic truth that the day shall come again, the eternal day, the glory that God has promised to us, the glory that is sharing in the life of the resurrection and eternity in heaven, like take it up and swing it. And if you're rejected, if you, if you lose things because of this, if you're, you find yourself you know, ostracized, praise be Jesus Christ. Because St. Peter said in his letter that when that happens to you, the glory of God and its fullness has come to rest upon you. So don't be afraid, brothers and sisters. Don't be afraid to speak the truth and love to the world 
And even as it seems as if things have grown dark, as if the enemy were to be winning, we know that the day will come again. Because as I said in an earlier episode, heaven and earth are gonna pass away, but the word of God, Jesus Christ, that's not going anywhere. That's not going anywhere. Um, So let us continue to be that prophetic voice in the world, a sign of contradiction and rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice because we know the promises of our good and loving father are true. Um, Now I'd also like to just, say to those who are experiencing in their lives um, struggle with identity, struggle with, you know, uh, same-sex attraction, struggle with trying to figure out how to love someone who's in your family or a friend who experiences this in their lives. Like this answer to the question, who do you say that I am, can only come from one place. It's not gonna come from the world around us. It's not gonna come from me trying to fix a heart problem with a surgery or with a hormone. It's not gonna come from me looking around for everybody else to validate. Uh, It's gonna come from the experience of being loved and being known by God the Father. And we already know the facts. The facts are, and this is Ephesians chapter one, and I I gotta just, I gotta read this because this is the beautiful truth about you. The beautiful truth about you is that you have been chosen before the foundation of the world, destined for adoption through Jesus Christ as a child of the Father. Before the foundation of the world, he knew you. You are not an accident, no matter what your experience looks like right now. You've been chosen in Christ for adoption as a beloved child. And if you feel lost and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like, don't know how I'm gonna make it through, don't know if I wanna stay inside this place of struggle, I don't know if I wanna stay inside this situation in a church where I feel perhaps rejected as if no one will listen, as if no one cares, Jesus speaks to you and says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith in me also. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back again and take you to myself. The good shepherd is coming for you. You are not alone. You are loved with the eternal love of the father that was made flesh in the son who came into this world, Jesus Christ. And he desires to pour that love into you, over you, because the only place that we know that full truth of who we are is when we look into the eyes of someone that knows everything about us to the core, everything that's beautiful, everything that's broken, everything that is something we want to be seen in the light and everything that we hide in the depths of darkness, ashamed of it, all of that, the one who sees all of that and looks at you with love and says, you are mine, you are my beloved child. That's the one who is answering the question that's in our hearts. Who do you say that I am? If you want that answer, There's no other place that it will be found except in the heart of the Father. Brothers and sisters, let's pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Abba, Father, just cry out to you. Cry out to you for a world that does not know that it has a good and loving father, for a generation that many have experienced as one of fatherlessness, of being abandoned, of being rejected, of being unknown, of being orphans in this world. Lord, those who've experienced your church as a place of rejection, as a place where they cannot find a space to belong, a space to call home, Father, I pray, I beg you that each of us may experience the grace of knowing Abba's love, may experience the gift of the Holy Spirit teaching us again in our hearts to cry out Abba. Lord, we wanna know who you say that we are. 
And we want that truth to set us free, free from any ideology, free from any false pretense, free from defining ourselves by a desire, by some external superficial aspect of who we are, by our own brokenness or our own struggle and sin. We don't want any of that to be the place where we seek the answer to that question. Father, we want to find the answer to that question in your loving heart that has chosen us from before the foundation of the world. I pray, Father, for each and every one of my brothers and sisters that may hear this. May they know that love. Abba, may they know that love and may that love heal them. May that love free them. May that love raise them up that they could share the fullness of life we've been made for as men and women crafted in your image and likeness, as sons and daughters of the Father. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. So, Father... Thank you, Father. And I think one of the, I, I imagine this is the same for our listeners, but hearing you speak about this in the past and, and here, I really feel like you um, have, this has really personified the the heart of the Good Shepherd in this. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the, the study and, and your own sort of sacrifice and death to really, 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 you know, um, study and, and uh, allow the truth of Christ and the truth of the human person and the truth of the church uh, really, yeah, to, to really own it. And, but also the way in which you've loved and walked so well with um, the real people, the real people that, that, mm-hmm. that the Lord loves and wants and has made for himself and the way in which you've really um, loved the truth and the person's, I, yeah, I, just, I think it's, I think it's, it's one of the moments being seeing you and the way you speak of it is one of those moments where I'm very proud to be Catholic and very proud mm. to wear the same habit as you. So, so on behalf of the church and the friars, thank you. And I'm sure this is, <laughs> this is the beginning of, <laughs> this is not the, the end of your work in this field with whatnot. Amen. Let it be for the love of God. We thank you guys for listening. All right. Take care. Bye. Now.